This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker Spine and Orthopedic Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Stuart Kerr of Orthopedic Specialist of Seattle. Dr. Kerr, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Now, I know we've got a lot to talk about, so let's dive right in. What are some of the top challenges that you're anticipating for the next year? I think a big challenge is going to be the issue that we face with uh, the challenges of many patients being very nervous about wanting to get management and specifically surgical care when it's very needed. I think that's uh, something that we really uh, are struggling with. A lot of patients are getting to the point where they're at crisis mode when they finally come in. And with the hospitals shutting down periodically with COVID wave surges, it becomes very challenging to manage them in an effective uh, 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 manner, especially with the hospitals also facing a lot of challenges with uh, staffing shortfalls. Absolutely. I can imagine that I know staffing is one of the biggest uh, challenges, you know, for any industry, but especially for the healthcare industry. When you look at um, that particular issue, how are you kind of changing your strategy or or what types of things do you think you'll do this year to um, accommodate for that? I think we're going to try to safely move more of the work that we can do so into the ambulatory surgery center environment because we're able to control that a little bit more effectively. And one of the other means in which we'd like to uh, be able to uh, work even in those patients that are required in more of a hospital setting is we're looking at um, several uh, equipment items that will bring us to a higher level of of efficiency. And I think one of those is really robotics. Got it. That's really interesting. So um, potentially you would be bringing robotics into the ASC? Uh, I do think that they will eventually have a role in the ASC, and I'm highly interested in that. Um, certainly, we're, we're needing those in the hospitals in the Seattle area. What I find perplexing is that many of the outlying areas, uh, not in downtown Seattle proper, but within the uh, King County uh, community and the outlying counties, already have robotics programs, but they really haven't made their way into uh, the downtown corridor of Seattle yet. Yet we need this type of equipment to uh, be able to get through the, the, the scores of patients that essentially are stacking up um, in a really efficient way. So I, I think that it has a, a, a critical role within uh, the management of so many of these patients, especially the older ones where it's uh, really challenging to uh, do their reconstructions in a very uh, highly efficient manner and get them off the operating room table. Um, with some of the, you know, older school, uh, more conventional ways of treatment, especially with pedicle screw placement. That makes a lot of sense and definitely seems like it would give um, you an advantage as well as the the ability to treat patients safely and effectively, um, as you said, more efficiently um, moving forward. Now, when you think about your practice, what do you see as some of the big opportunities to grow over the next year or two? I think a... uh, one of the big opportunities is going to be endoscopic spine and robotics. I think that uh, a lot of patients, uh, you know, myself included, if I ever had to have a procedure done and could have that done in a, in a way that's, you know, kind of ultra minimally invasive, if you will, that, you know, directly addresses the pathology in the most uh, uh, 
in the most in, in the in the fashion that's the um, most respective of of tissue, and not disrupting tissue to uh, handle the the actual work that needs to happen at the pathologic level. And I'll explain that a little bit better. So, if I have, uh, for example, a <clears throat> a patient with a large thoracic disc herniation, the conventional way of treating that oftentimes requires a fairly substantial resection where you may even have to uh, take portions of the rib head in order to access the, uh, the decompression effectively. Well, now we have endoscopic spine techniques that will allow us to uh, truly do this through a more minimally invasive uh, procedure where you're directly looking at the pathology and directly peeling that away from compressed neural structures, specifically the spinal cord. And I think that that can be much more safely accomplished through some of the technologies so long as the individuals that are performing those have received, you know, a very, very thorough, adequate training uh, regimen and essentially have been signed off to the point where they can do this safely. So I, I think that that's a real big opportunity that we're going to see emerge over the next uh, three to five years. And I also think robotics are going to play a huge role. Like I mentioned before, we really need to have, uh, you know, with the with the aging uh, population, we a lot of those patients are healthy enough to undergo surgery and will do well with well executed, well performed surgery, so long as we don't have them, you know, in an anesthetic uh, phase of their management, i.e., in the operating room for an undue amount of time, because it's hard on them physiologically to recover from. So if I can cut down the amount of time that I uh, require to safely and very accurately position my posterior instrumentation, i.e. pedicle screws and my rod construct, and essentially half the amount of time, if not more, in the operating suite, uh, that's a real benefit, not only on the patient that's uh, undergoing the procedure, but also on the throughput of other patients that are required to be managed. So if I have, for example, one OR block day or two OR block days, I, I can treat more patients that are needing my services uh, throughout that surgical day in the operating suite. That would be amazing and sounds like it would make a huge difference um, for your practice as well as your patients. Now, I know we've talked a lot about some really interesting technologies, whether it's the endoscopic or robotics or some of the other positioning technologies when you think about, uh, you know, moving forward and bringing some of those into the practice, whether it's at the hospital or the ASC, how do you see um, being able to justify the value of that? I know these are expensive pieces of equipment and take time to train on as well. So from your perspective, especially in looking at um, some of the challenging financial um, environment overall, how are you thinking about that aspect of bringing new technologies into your practice? I think um, what is really required is that we have to own our data and we need to be able to show that our data is uh, is of high quality, that we're doing the right things and that we're providing a, a surgical intervention that's durable. Um, and, what, and what I mean by durable is that we are really cutting down on how quickly or even if a patient is required to come back to the operating room for you know, some other segment that maybe uh, is breaking down. What I see oftentimes in my practice is I'll have a lot of revision patients that come in to see me, and they maybe had a one-level or a two-level lumbar spine surgery that was right adjacent to a segment that was already quite degenerative. And when the construct was completed, the patient has a spine that still has deformity that's present, 
and then they break down quite readily and oftentimes fairly rapidly after that index surgery that they had done. So I don't look at that as being a very durable operation. I want to do an operation that's going to give the patient years and years, if not complete relief, uh, where they don't require a return back to the operating room. And some of these technologies, uh, if we if we have data that shows that this is what we're able to provide them, and then in the big scheme of things, it saves money, not only for CMS, but also for uh, private payers. I think that there needs to be some way to move forward to where some of these technologies can be brought in because it makes sense to do them in a way that's a lot less expensive. That makes a ton of sense and, and really um, is a nice way to ensure you're providing the value that everybody's looking for in healthcare. Now, before we wrap up our conversation, what do you think will be the lasting legacy of COVID-19 and orthopedics and spine today? Well, that's a really good question. I, we all hope that COVID-19, just like the Spanish flu of uh, 1918, kind of just fizzles away. Um, but who knows? I, I think that... Uh, most likely we're we're probably going to see you know some of these other variants that periodically um, you know rear their head and I'm hopeful that it gets to the point where it's almost just like the influenza as healthcare workers a lot of us you know either wore masks or we were required to take the influenza vaccine each year and um, maybe we get to the point where covid nineteen um, you know, kind of morphs into that type of a situation. I do think that COVID-19 and the crises that uh, the crises that that it has uh, initiated into this uh, entire throughput for taking care of patients with serious spinal disorders uh, has also given us an opportunity. It it um, it really forces us to look at um, how we can be very effective very safe, very efficient at managing more patients through the ambulatory surgery center and uh, setting and getting them home and maybe home with home health or home with some type of a, you know, kind of home check-in telemedicine uh, uh, evaluations uh, and doing more and more in that type of a setting rather than through the hospital setting. But that remains to be seen. Dr. Kerr, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really fascinating discussion, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. I appreciate you for having me, and I hope you have a, uh, a nice rest of your day, and thank you for, uh, for the opportunity.